Hey, yeah. It's just water. I didn't cheat. It's not coffee. It's just water. Man, it's so good to see your guys' faces. Those of you online, I'm proud of you. Good job, Memorial Day weekend. Even if you're out on the lake, as long as you're watching, I'm proud of you. All right? Proud of you. Hey, it is Memorial Day uh, weekend. I do, uh, I do want to pause just for a second and say it is amazing to, to live in a country that we have so many people that are willing to serve in our armed forces and that have given their lives to do such. And uh, though we... Uh, at times may not see all the sacrifices that have been given, and we know that we hear the stories of the greatest generation. I know we just celebrated 75 years of the beaches of Normandy this year, but I just want to pause and give them honor and say thank you. Thank you for your service. And those of you that are watching, thank you for those that are part of that. Appreciate you. Well, we are in week five of our pause series. I, I, I got to tell you, you guys, I got to tell you, this series is flowing straight from my own life. So if you don't like some of it, just know that's because God's working in my heart and in my life. And uh, we don't always get the same work at the same time, but all I can do is tell you what God's been doing, and that's what I'm going to continue to do this week. And I hope and I think it'll transfer well. Now, as we're watching the country kind of reopen and kind of figure out what we're supposed to do and what the new normal is, and we're parties are fighting and friends are fighting and everybody's fighting and mad and got their own opinions and I get that. I get it. I get it. Uh, I have three little boys, so that just is normal life to me. Just have to be real with you. Um, three little boys can be best friends and then 10 minutes later they, they are crying and in tears because one of them now is no longer their friend and that has been declared uh, out loud. And I, <laughs> I know for a lot of us, um, this is a time of reflection, trying to figure out what the best case scenario is moving forward, not only for the country, but just in your own family and with your own decisions, with your businesses. And so with all that in mind, uh, each week I have to come up with something that tries to help you and reflect, give you time to reflect and to think through the choices and the mediation in your own mind of what you need to be doing and where you need to go. So what I'm going to do is just walk you through kind of how this sermon came together through kind of what God was speaking to me this week, and I think it's going to be challenging but also good for you. started in Proverbs uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. This is just something I read this week, just something that caught my eye. I'll tell you why. It's because of this word right now, right here, or these two words, is my son. Anytime I see that in the Bible, I, I tune in because I'm a dad of, of boys. And so I'm like, okay, what do I need to be teaching my son? As a dad, that's just naturally how my eyes kind of are drawn. So it says this, If you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, call out for insight, cry aloud for understanding, if you look for it as for silver and search for it as hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. And so when I read this, my immediate thought was I was trying to discipline one of my children. And I thought, that's it. I need them to fear me. Like Genghis Khan. Right? It's better to be feared than to be loved. Right? That's a, and that's, that's a horrible context to this verse. But that was just my initial thought. I was like, if they fear me, they'll listen to me. 
Um, that's not what this means. A lot of us, when we see the word fear these days, uh, we think uh, faith over fear. I'm not supposed to be fearful. Faith over fear. Faith over fear. And they're just like almost immediately, that's like our response, you know, and you just want to like shout it from the rooftops. But that's not what this means either. Uh, in fact, this is the healthiest form of fear. This is the type of fear we're supposed to have. This is the type of fear where you look at something and you go, yeah, that's scary. Uh, how many of you have a, uh, something that you're scared of that's just unexplainable? Anybody have a fear of spiders in here, no matter the size? doesn't matter what size it is. It could be this big, it could be a tarantula, you're running, okay? Uh, heights, anybody in here, heights person? That is me, all right? If I get close to anything high, John's in this room, is it true? Very true. All right. I, changing these ballasts that are in this room right here, I literally got up in that. I went down as it went up in, my, in the thing. I was like, yeah, I can't. It's going up. This is the idea here is that when we get a full understanding of who God is and we get an accurate picture, our response is, oh, no, we're in trouble. Our response is, that's a healthy view of God. He's big, he's scary. He's a very high spider, evidently, with our examples. But he is worthy of fear because he is big, powerful, strong, and mighty. He's God. It's a healthy fear. And then it says, and find the knowledge of God. That's the way to live. The wise way to live. If he's the one that's in charge, put us here with a purpose and a plan. Promises. He has a way to live. So this was, again, the start of the process. But here's what I came up with. This is what my thoughts were. I, I, I'm going to cry out and search, and I'm going to do it respectfully and ask for insight. So here's the idea. I'm going to cry out respectfully, right? I'm going to cry out with respect, but I'm going to search for insight. That's, and that's what I've been trying to do. When I read the Word, when I get online and I see every Facebook post or everything that might drive me crazy on YouTube or on the interwebs, or when I have a conversation with someone who's asking good questions, I, I literally, in my mind, I'm thinking, gosh, i got to cry out with respect. I, I don't want to act like God's not God because He is God. But I want to be willing to search for insights and what I'm supposed to be doing, how I'm supposed to be living, what I'm supposed to be saying. And wherever you're at, I hope that's an attitude that we can all come to or I say is, is, is a helpful thing. So that's all Proverbs is trying to say. is saying, look, come to God with respect, fear him. But there is wisdom in that. That's the beginning of all wisdom. And so today, we're going to flow out of that, and I'm going to use that as an intro into what we're going to talk about in Matthew. If we're going to do this well, I want to introduce two small little parables. And these parables have come from Ravi Zacharias' last book. I just finished it. It's called Jesus of the East. Ravi Zacharias tragically passed away from cancer just this last week. And I loved him. He was one of probably my favorite Christian teachers. He, I, I had Judy Meehan came up and said, he taught for over 50 years. And I, I've listened to him for much of my adult life. And in his last book, he used these two little parables to teach something that I want to pass on to you. I want to pass on to you. So Matthew 13, 44 through 46 says this. His disciples lapse, drops into those that are pursuing him, and just lets you chew on them. The kingdom of heaven 
is like a treasure hidden in a field. Anytime you see the kingdom of heaven in the book of Matthew, just know that Matthew, over the course of 28 or 29 chapters, says this 50 times. The kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. This is the absolute boiled down message of the gospel. And if you don't know that, you need to read the book of Matthew and just look for it. It's crazy. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then, he, then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Anytime Jesus is teaching something important, he's going to teach it to you more than once because you know he knows you need to hear it again. <laughs> so again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found the one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Now, the neat thing about this is all of us have a definition or have a thought of the question that is supposed to pop to the top. And maybe you haven't recognized it yet. But here's the question that this parable, these two parables ask. What is the field and what is the pearl supposed to be? What's this treasure in the field? And now, some of us grew up in church, right? So we got our answers ready, right? We're like, oh, I know this one. I got it, all right? Some of us didn't. Some of us have grown up in church, but we know that parables can be a little tricky. And so our immediate response, we're like, wait, second guess that thought. Well, in Ravi's book, he does this. He says these two parables, and then he asks this question. So I'm driving on the road. I've been through Bible college. I'm a pastor's kid. I've heard this preached before. I have studied it before. And I'm driving. He asks this question. And the arrogance in me in that moment, I just have to tell you, it's like nailed it. I got it. I know it. You got it? I'm going to call on you in just a minute. I'm just kidding. I'm not going to call on you. Online, I'm calling on you. Write it in the comments. How many of you right now, it's like change, restoration, spiritual renewal, hope? Maybe something like that? Raise your hand if it's something like that. If that was your answer in your mind. How many of you guys are thinking uh, freedom from sin, salvation? How many of you guys are thinking salvation? That's the pearl. Anybody? Nobody's raising their hand. You guys didn't come up with an answer. I hope online you're participating. All right? Raise your hand if you're at home. I appreciate it. Well, in my mind, literally what I said is I said salvation. That's it. It's salvation. It's change. It's restoration. It's, it's, it's God's gift to me. But then Ravi says his next line. It's Jesus and his kingdom. It has nothing to do with you this thing. It's Jesus. The thing that is the treasure is not you restored in this parable. It's a good thing. Salvation's awesome. But the parable is meant to point to Jesus. It's meant to point to his kingdom and who he is. And it's meant to teach you this. He's worth everything. Jesus is worth everything. That's what it's meant to do. It says the first guy goes away with joy and sells everything he has. 
I don't know how many of you guys would go home not in tears if I told you you had to go home and sell everything you had. Go home and sell everything you had. It would crush you. You would have confliction. You would go, I don't know. Are you serious? Are you sure we have the same Holy Spirit? Because I don't think I don't think I'm supposed to. All because he knows it's more valuable than what he had before. This is something new. Now, what this started to do in my heart is it started to send myself into kind of a tailspin. Anybody have these moments where your mind just starts to race and you're putting this new thought into its place, into like what it does? And I hope you're not like the person that just hears something amazing and then doesn't put it into practice. I do that all the time. And so I was trying not to have that happen where I'm like, oh, that's really cool. I just keep driving. So in my mind, I started to go, there's a key to this, isn't there? There's something that this parable is unlocking that I think, no matter if you've been walking with Jesus for 10 minutes or 10 years or, or 50, that you need to be reminded that you have to take a step continually in. And that's this thought. Surrender is the start. Surrender starts the sequence of growth. Surrender starts the sequence of growth. If you're going to grab this treasure in the field, if you're going to own it, if it's going to be a part of your life and you're going to see its value, it's going to start with you giving away the things that it's going to take, surrendering the things that are going to get you Jesus, this pearl, this treasure. I don't know how many of you have experienced this, but when you uh, first become a Jesus follower, it is really easy to say, oh, I'm all in. I'm in, 100%. We watched the baptism last week. They're tackling each other in the creek. They're loving on each other, thinking it's the greatest thing ever. Then you get 20 years in, and you hear this type of sermon about surrender, and you go, I already did that. I already did that. Because you got your claws in something new. Your heart's got something different that it's holding on to. And I'm telling you, this isn't a one-time process. This is the start of any time you want to grow. This is the start of the sequence. Paul knew this. Probably one of my favorite verses that Paul ever wrote, and I know it has something to do with just his vulnerability and who he is, but some of the favorite verses he ever wrote is in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. It speaks so just straight to my heart. Paul is struggling to try to, to get the church in Corinth to listen to his... they like, do you know who I am? I'm Paul! I've been shipwrecked, I've been beaten, I've done all this stuff. I'm, if I, anybody knows anything more about the law, I know it! And just trying to like just do this major like, but then in the middle of it, it's like God just like hits him with the humble stick. And he gets really, really, really vulnerable. And he says, listen, I have this thorn in the flesh. I, I have this thing that I've struggled with. I, I get what it's like to struggle. I, I get what it's like when something gets a hold of you. And he says it like this. I, I've pleaded with God 
Three times I've pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Now we don't know what he's pleading to be taken away. He never says it specifically. I actually think it's brilliant that he never says it. Because I think if he defined it, I think if he told us exactly what it was, all of us that didn't struggle with that would just be like, well, that was him. But because he doesn't define it, we don't know if it was his eyes because he had horrible eyesight and he couldn't write well. And so he's constantly needing people to come and help him transcribe. We don't know if he got hurt from some of the beatings or the shipwreck and so he's walking with a limp or he has chronic pain. We don't know if it's a sin issue. It could have been pride. It just constantly feels like this pride rushing into him. He just wants to belittle and tear down everyone around him. And sometimes when truth reveals it, we don't know. But what he, what he does know is this, that, that Jesus speaks straight. The Spirit speaks straight to him. And he says, You're made, you're, my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. And if you didn't get this or you needed a little bit more, it's like he's like, let me flush this out for you to make sure you understand this completely. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, and in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, for most of us, we've heard that. We understand, but this isn't a give up and let God type moment. This isn't you just going like, oh, I'm done. This is recognizing this is going to take intentionality. This isn't letting go of the things that are easy. These are letting go of the things that keep you up at night, that get your blood pressure going, that make the tears flow. to make your heart break. But the truth that Paul is trying to point out is this. The level of my surrender determines the level of my strength. The level of my surrender is going to determine the level of my strength. Our ability to let God have the things, to let God have the things that we don't want to let go of, it's going to determine to the level that he can step in with his strength. Because that's how he gets it. He doesn't take it from us. But he offers. I find it curious that in a time like this, how easy it is to kind of have little strongholds of rebellion in your heart. Anybody feel this? I feel it most prevalent when I, I read a Facebook article that confirms the thing that I have been thinking about pridefully all day, and then I read it, and I'm like, yes, I knew it. I had confirmed my suspicions. And it, it just like swells something inside of me. Have you felt this? Or, or, or you're in a conversation with someone, and they say the thing that you've been wanting to say, but they say it out loud. 
and you hear it, and you're like, yeah, that, mm, say that again. It just swells in you, doesn't it? Or how about that thing that nobody knows about? Sits in the quiet places, the dark places, whether it be anxiety or fear or a personal struggle. I wrote down some thoughts of what surrender could look like, maybe challenging for you. The first is this, your own thoughts, my own thoughts and faults and sins. The things that I do to myself. Wisdom that was given to me by a mentor early on as he brought a mirror to a meeting and he held it up in front of me and he goes, who do you see? And I said, I see myself. And he goes, that's the person that has the greatest opportunity to wreck your life. And I was like, (laughs) and he's basically like, look, there's lots of things you're not going to be able to control, but there's a ton of things that you are. And you need to learn how to ask for help. And you need to learn how to get disciplined and to ask the right questions and to admit when things are wrong. And it's still something I struggle with today. And I know for you, in the midst of a pandemic, you could just look externally to everyone else and think that's the problem, but then you realize internally you're breaking yourself and your little world with your choices. It has nothing to do with that pandemic. It has everything to do with the one that's in your heart. How about this? Anybody feel any tension in this one? Replacing some siding on your house, maybe? Or a vehicle or two? A couple windows from a hailstorm in the middle of a pandemic? Maybe some investments that you thought were responsible choices now have turned out to be flops. Maybe your best laid plans are laid waste. Maybe the budget that you had didn't have pandemic in it. That wasn't in the line, Dave. Didn't have that one. Maybe the savings account that you knew you should have had, you didn't. Maybe just the stress of the unknown in this has caused major, major issues. How about this one? Let's just talk about fear for a second. The shoulda, coulda, woulda. Anybody lost any sleep over the last couple of months? Isn't Isn't it funny? Some of us are doing less and we have less stress in the sense of like what we have to do in our normal day, but then we lie awake at night more than ever. And it has nothing to do with sickness or economic. It's just all the questions. Maybe I'm alone in this, but I'm not, I've had enough conversations to know I'm not. This is just something you just go, what is that? What is my mind doing? Why is it racing? Why is there all these things that I didn't even think about before that now I have to think about? And now I'm worried if they're going to work out. What about this one? This is a big one for me. Family. You know, I talked about the polarizing idea of Republicans and Democrats, and it's a, an election year, and now you got what data's correct, 
Are we being that's strewn across the country? I don't want to air our dirty laundry, but I'll just tell you this right now. I've never felt like my family is less together. Like our conversations are just like, what is this? And then I got three little kids. I'm pretty sure my kids think the corona is a robber, like a physical person. They're like, this person. And I'm like, I get it. Trying to teach them, talk to them, trying to tell them what's going on. This is a complicated thing the generation above me that I'm trying to help or be with, but to the generations below me. It's hard. How about the last one? Where are we going to go from here? Are we going to start drawing like a new Civil War map and it's going to just look like a puzzle pieces? Are we all going to be together? Are we going to have food? I know we're going to have guns and bullets. I I guarantee you that. I've I've had enough conversations. I think we're good there. What's the new future going to look like? Here's the key. You ready? Surrender. It's, It's to surrender this stuff. It's to let it go. Not just give up. I'm talking about handing it over. I'm talking about, God, I'm crying out to you in respect. I need some insights, but I know you are God and I am not. I'm saying, God, I know this is the start of the sequence, so I'm just going to get on my knees and I'm going to let you have it because I need some growth in an area. I need, I need some advice. And then ultimately, I need some strength. And I feel helpless. I don't feel like I have it or all the answers. I need you to move. I wonder what would happen if we would do that. Some quick questions for you to ponder as you leave today. What are you struggling to surrender? Be specific. Is it needs? Is it control? Is it your faith? Has this just rattled you? It's like, "Ah, I don't really have it right now. How about this side of the coin? Sometimes we don't think about this. Who do you need to be available for? Who do you need to be available for to help surrender and grow? Be specific. What's their name? Who do you need to reach out to? If you see somebody struggling and they need some help, this is the time. Surrender your pride. (laughs) Step out on a limb. Do the things that sometimes feel a little awkward. Make the connections to help. You'd be amazed how far a text message or a phone call goes these days. How about this one? What can you do this week to start a process to help yourself grow? or to help someone else take steps. And maybe these two are more connected than you think. Maybe it's just a text message to somebody to go, hey, I'm working on surrendering our finances. It's been a rough couple months. I just need you to call me at once a week and just tell me to let it go. I'm like, God, I have control. Not to give up, not to not make plans, but to give it to God. Can you do that for me?
yeah, you know what? I have this area. If you would call me or you would text me, that would help me immensely. We just try to help each other find a healthy perspective. What if we just did this for a week right now? What if this is just something that, as we go into the next section, we just come out strong. You come out ready. Not because the circumstances have changed. Not because stress isn't there. Not because anxiety isn't still on the brim or that frustration isn't bubbling. But because we've put it back in God's hands. We've seen the proper perspective that he is God and we are not. And we believe like Paul does that his grace is sufficient. That in my weakness, when I don't have the answers, that he is strong and he is still God. I think we'd be a better church. I think we'd find a fuller life. I think we would make God into the God that he's supposed to be. Paul would call us to believe in. That you and I need to continue to grow in. Let's be that church. Let's do that together.